The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Gazenza and this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I hope you are all doing well. Thank you so much for joining us once again whether you're joining us live via YouTube or CincyJungle.com, or you are getting the show on a number of different platforms, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, um, again on Cincy Jungle, and are joining us after the fact, that's okay too. Uh, It's the off season, so we understand you're playing catch up as we are. A little impromptu show tonight. Uh, We weren't really thinking about doing a, a show, maybe taking a break, but OTAs did begin, and we're getting uh, you know a handful of different pieces of news and other items going on with the club. So we thought we we at least should do a an abbreviated show at least, and hopefully that's uh, that's what we'll do. And hopefully it will still be the same kind of show you've been digging. Uh, I did start off last last week's show with you know some compliments to our great listeners and and uh, you know our our gratitude for all of the compliments we've received and those kept pouring in over the the course of the week when that show went went out so thank you so much for all of the feedback much appreciated uh we're so flattered that you like this show and if you have yet to do so please subscribe to our soundcloud or youtube channels uh, or both uh, itunes channel as well uh to make sure you get the show as it comes out and you're you're ready to go and it's, it's right there for you uh when you're ready to, to listen to the show Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about OTAs, uh, a little bit about you know what some sights and sounds. You know, I don't want to be too repetitive. There are a lot of uh, you know. So we've been talking about ro- the rookies, and obviously we're starting to get first looks at some of those some of those players. So um, I, I, we're going to talk about that, but not too much. I want to talk about Cedric Abuehi for a little bit. Uh, there's been some interesting comments made. Uh, first of all, there's an interesting kind of situation that he's experiencing as a player right now. And um, there's also kind of an interesting uh, situation, uh, interesting comments that are being made by a number of different fans. And, you know, um, so we kind of want to ask a question about that. And then we'll, we'll, if we get some time, we'll get to listener questions at the end as well as we normally do. I might be joined by my partner in crime, Scott Schulze. I don't know at this point. Uh, I'm hopeful he'll show up. But uh, for now, I think it might have to be stuck with just me. And uh, we'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll deal with it, guys. We'll deal with it, I promise. Uh, so OTAs have begun. And with that... Come, come a number of different interesting headlines. And 
it's and I, I guess I, I use the term interesting um, in a in a loose uh, interpretation of the term, I guess, because how, how interesting really can be, you know, non-padded workouts and shorts. I mean, yes, they're doing stuff on the fields. They're doing, they're doing some drills, but at the same time, you're getting a look at a lot of new Bengals players, a lot of guys that weren't really around last year um, that, that are kind of around the field now, John Ross, Tyler Eifert, sort of. Um, so, I mean, in that respect, that's kind of exciting. And, you know, this is a, this is a big year full of, um, some change with the, with the team, be it at the coaching rank. So we're seeing and hearing a lot of different things right now with the club. And I guess where we can start is let's start, I guess, with Carlos Dunlap. And Carlos Dunlap has been kind of holding out of OTAs because of a contract situation. He's entering a contract year. He might be looking for another contract. Now, Carlos Dunlap's always been the consummate team guy since he's joined the Bengals. He's been a good pro. He's been a good guy off the field. Uh, so this was, I don't want to say it's shocking because really it's not like he's holding out a training camp or anything like that. But, uh, you know, they call these OTAs, organized team activities that are, you know, they, they kind of say, oh, they're optional. But obviously almost if not every single player shows up to these things and it's expected that they do so. So not seeing Carlos Dunlap, a, a guy who's been known as kind of a team leader out there, is a little interesting. And I never like, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I used to coach. From a player standpoint, I used to play. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't really like the idea of someone holding out, especially, you know, if it's a money thing or, or anything like that. But I guess as I've gotten older and I've seen how short and abbreviated these careers from some of these young men can be, I can understand it at a certain standpoint why he would not want to come. Now, if you look at, I think it was the first, I think it was on Tuesday, workouts with the Eagles and the Chargers, the Eagles lost linebacker Paul Warlow to an ACL tear. And it looks like a guy that would have been counted on in a huge way for Sandy, or San Diego, Los Angeles, uh, Hunter Henry, the tight end, who has been a good red zone threat for, for Phillip Rivers. And they felt so confident in him that they're moving away from Antonio Gates. He has also suffered an ACL injury and is probably going to miss the entire year. And these are in workouts that really non-contact, again, no pads. It's like helmets and shorts, drills, conditioning, that sort of thing. Really, I mean, yes, it's great. They're productive. And yes, you see some things uh, out there that you want to see. And yes, you get the guys together for kind of a few sessions to gel and, and all of that, especially with a lot of new faces. But when you lose a valuable guy for the year and in these types of practices, it's it's gut-wrenching. Uh, it's happened to the Bengals before. It's happened to pretty much every team before in some capacity. And it's it's not fun. It's not fun when it happens in training camp. And those are, you know, the padded practices and, and all of that. So, you know, I, I from that standpoint, especially a guy entering a contract year, wants to be healthy, wants to be as fresh as possible. He's going – he's approaching 30 years old. So he's not – you know, he's been through seven or eight of these types of OTA sessions in his career already. So not 
you know, it's not necessary for Dunlap to be there. I guess it would just be, you know, team leaderish and other stuff, other opinions of that make me feel like, yeah, I, I kind of think, I kind of think that I would like to see him there and like to see him participate, but not at the cost of potentially injuring himself and costing him a lot of money. But see, the thing is on the other side of that argument is the fact that what is that? I mean, how is that, how is he really any different from many other players on a football team? Yes. They're the, the, the guys that are kind of scraping for a roster spot and uh, aren't necessarily heavily counted on or have hefty salaries, that sort of thing. But there are other stars in the, uh, you know, in on teams that are in a similar situation as Carlos Dunlap. And for some reason, you know, sometimes a guy feels a little bit more entitled or uh, personally responsible to take themselves out of these practices. Whatever the case may be, Dunlap, Dunlap is – now he's going to be with the Bengals. He's entering a contract year. I'm sure – Things will be fine. There's not going to be an issue. There's probably something coming up down the pike. I would think the Bengals do a lot of a lot of things. And Dunlap was one of these guys where they re-sign these guys down the uh, down the road in the summer months to extensions before they actually hit free agency. Some of their core guys. They did it with Dunlap. They did it with Dino Atkins. They've done it with Perfect. They've done it with Dalton. So I, I would think that he is, and and it's been expressed that. He and Geno Atkins are priorities of the team this year, but Atkins showed up. Dunlap didn't. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're they're kind of in similar situations in terms of contracts. So interesting. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it's bad news necessarily to start off things with with OTAs and the Bengals, but it's it's one of the bigger headlines, unfortunately, that's being made. Now, I guess if we want to talk about some of the position groups and players to look at. Uh, I put up a post on cincyjungle.com about uh, five position groups to watch. Some may find it interesting that I omitted offensive tackle, and I'll get to that in just a second. But the, the, the positions I noted that we need to be, be looking at in terms of the Cincinnati Bengals, I put offensive guard, I put wide receiver, but safety, but linebacker. And, uh, you know, I think those are, those are all the top spots. And uh, I, I, I also, believe it or not, I also put uh, tight end. And tight, tight end is a spot that's very interesting. And I think that's more of the reason why I put that on there is because of the fact that Eifert was limited in these OTA sessions. We know he's coming off of a knee surgery to remove like a cyst and then back surgery, all this kind of stuff. And you want him healthy and you want him out there. So he was very limited in the early days of OTAs. And then uh, Tyler Croft on that first day was uh, not participating. He was there, but he was not participating. So now all of a sudden that leaves you with CJ Ozama, Ryan Hewitt, Seaton Carter, um, you know, Mason Shrek, all of these guys that uh, still have quite a bit to prove. Now Ozama obviously has proven the most out of that group, and he's probably a a roster lock at this point, but it's going to be interesting to see how that position plays out, how healthy they get, especially in the later months of, of summer and into training camp. But uh, those are the five positions I had to, to watch. 
Uh, I think that uh, I, I think that uh, you could you could easily add multiple other position groups that that are up there in the top position groups if you want to do that. Um, you know, offensive tackles obviously one of them. People are interested in backup quarterback, but to me, those are kind of the more interesting things. Now, I, I, why, why I pointed out wide receiver, I think for the most part, that most of us know what's going to what's going to transpire in terms of how that position group is made up. Believe it or, you know, whether you like it or not, I think Brandon LaFell's safe. Obviously, A.J. Green is going to be there. John Ross will be there. Tyler Boyd will be in there. Then kind of spots five and possibly six or even seven, uh, depending on if they use one of those positions as a as a kickoff, spe- kickoff return specialist or if they dual role one of those guys, whether it's Alex Erickson, whether it's John Ross, whether it's whoever it's going to, my, my reasoning with that position is just kind of seeing how the pecking order falls, how John Ross performs. Um, If Brandon LaFell somehow does makes some sort of tumble down the depth chart, I don't see that happening. I think the team really likes him, but you know, that's another, it's another thing altogether. But I think that that's one of the more interesting position groups this year, uh, at least at the early part of the offseason here. Got a lot of different questions and comments. Uh, (laughs) Dean Burke, going back to the ACL injuries I mentioned, I was surprised it was Hunter Henry and not Tyler Eifert. Yeah, let's not put the the voodoo on on Eifert this year. He's on a one-year deal. Let's hope he he stays healthy and, uh, you know, go from there. if we don't like our tight end, again, this is Dean. If we don't like our tight end, we could probably get swing a trade for Max Williams real cheap because uh, the Ravens doubled up on tight ends in the draft. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, obviously, they thought that they wanted uh, some tight ends. They lost. They've recently lost, I believe, Dennis Pitta. Uh, he he had a number of injuries, kind of came back, and and all of that. Um, that's a team though that likes to do. If you watch. Their offense, meaning the Baltimore Ravens, they like to do a lot of stuff with safe low throws, a lot of checkdowns. Flacco likes to do a lot of checkdowns, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of crossing routes, a lot of that stuff. And then all of a sudden he'll throw the big bomb uh, to a speedy wideout or, you know, what have you. So it's kind of dinking, it's kind of feast or famine in terms of their passing game. So I think in terms of the, the lower stuff, the high – percentage completion stuff. That's why they wanted to get more tight ends. That's why they wanted it. They wanted those guys to do well in the red zone, which, you know, Joe Flacco hasn't thrown a ton of touchdowns the last couple of years, really since um, winning that Super Bowl. Yes, he had an injury through a a portion of one of the seasons, but uh, hasn't been the strongest type of statistical quarterback since uh, rejoining or rejoining the, uh, the Ravens both after the Super Bowl and then uh, rejoining him after his injury. So, um, you know, I could see where you can come up with, you know, the possibility of that. And, and, hey, strange things happen during the summer months. You know, guys 
teams get get anxious. Teams have their eye on guys, and they want to, um, you know, they want to see if they can improve their roster. Sometimes that comes during uh, post June one cuts, which is coming right down the pike. Sometimes that comes after the you know final cuts, that sort of thing. So, you know, uh, that may be something where the Bengals work uh, get get one of those waived guys and uh, add to their roster as we go forward. They have made off-season trades, though, before, not necessarily for, uh, you know, Max Williams is a relatively high high-profile name. I think he was a second-round pick. Uh, you know, but the Bengals have grabbed guys like Kelly Jennings and Reggie Nelson. They've done that stuff before. So maybe if Eifert doesn't prove to be healthy, Croft has some issues, and none of the other guys behind them crop up maybe they make a call for max williams i don't see it though especially within the division i don't know usually those trades don't don't occur that often but good thought uh i'm seeing here and you know as i mentioned at the onset of the show i wanted to talk about cedric abwehi and i'm seeing some questions and and talking here austin tran do you think cedric abwehi could play guard Uh, so let's let's back up a second one of the other news and notes out of OTAs is that Cedric Abwehi is lining up at both tackle spots as a backup and lining up uh, – Frank Pollock plans to get him work as a guard as well. I don't think it's a big surprise that he'll, he was a backup tackle or he would, he would be a backup tackle at this point. Obviously, Cordy Glenn was brought in. They seem to think Jake Fisher may be a better fit on that right side than Cedric Abwehi. It's more about – what they haven't seen out of Jake Fisher over what they have seen out of Cedric Abwehi. But, you know, he's backing up. He might get some work at, at guard, and that right guard spot is open at, at, for a starter right now. Now, one would, one would tend to think that Alex Redmond, Christian Westerman, um, maybe Rod Taylor, Trey Hopkins, one of those guys could could go, you know, fit in there. Maybe even Bobby Hardy's listed as a tackle guard, so maybe he's one of the options you're thinking about in starting there. But I think I think there might be some work to do with Abwehi at guard. Now, that being said, when you look back to some of his college tape at Texas A&M, arguably his best season, he played a lot of different spots on the offensive line there, and arguably his best season – uh, with the Aggies was as a guard. So we talked about this on this program before about, you know, could he have a future at guard? He could. Uh, my problem with, with that is the Bengals need to probably commit to that pretty heavily. They need to say, yes, he's a guard and an emergency backup tackle. He's just a backup utility lineman at this point at a, a couple of different spots. They need to make it, they need to make some form of a commitment with him. And it's a two-way street. Cedric Abway, he's got to show them enough that he is going to be able to be counted upon, whether it's to come in for emergency duty, whether it's to actually start at a position. But uh, I, I would like to see the Bengals try and commit to something to him. You know, if they're going to make him a guard, try and, and use this summer, especially with a new coach at his position, really try and make him a guard if that's what you think he is best suited at. Now, if you think he's got a future as a starting tackle, then really work with him there. Otherwise, it might be just time to say, you know what, the Bengals have already, uh, I, I believe the time has uh, passed for them to 
not exercise the fifth year option on him, and I don't think they're going to. So that has passed. And so, I, I, you know, the Bengals now are going to kind of use this year as, you know what, let's see what you got. And, uh, you know, if, if somehow you show us something, then, you know, that's that's awesome. But at this point, I don't think he's much more than a backup or a potential project at guard. That being said, when some of the talk of Cedric Abwehi, you know, backing up and all of that, uh, being a backup, when it was put on, I, I saw some stuff on Twitter. I saw some stuff on CincyJungle.com about, you know, him and his future. And I wanted to kind of talk about this. There's a lot, there's actually a surprising amount of comments, at least to me, a surprising amount of comments pushing for the Bengals to get rid of Abwehi, whether it's to trade him for something, which would be, at this point, I would think very little to nothing, or just get rid of him. They they would rather see that spot possibly taken up by somebody else and, and another offensive lineman, I, I, I would assume. So I wanted to kind of talk about that for a minute because I – while I understand that, I think that this is a very interesting year for Cedric Abwehi and the Cincinnati Bengals, and one where he could potentially prove himself, one where he can maybe do something where the team says, hey, you know what, this is actually a viable guy to keep on our roster. Now, I, I'm not opposed to the team getting rid of him, but I, I think – I'm more opposed to the team potentially getting – I would be more for the team getting rid of Cedric Abwehi after the entire summer and training camp has passed and they've given him a shot under under the new coach and they just said, this guy doesn't have it. This guy is not going to work for us. Let's try and get somebody else who's serviceable as a backup or what have you. But I think they need to at least give Cedric Abwehi a shot this summer, again, either committing to him playing guard committing to him being just a backup offensive tackle. But I think they need to give him the summer to work under Frank Pollock. And as we've seen it a bunch of times in contract years, we've seen guys who have struggled through the first parts of their career. All of a sudden, when that, when that contract year comes up, guess what? They play the best football of their NFL careers. Then they get a big payday and then whatever happens from there happens. But I think there are a number of factors that some people need to consider when talking about, ah, just get rid of him. You know, I I think he needs to have some time under Pollock. I think you need to commit kind of to a route with him. And plus, you know, he's in the the last year of a rookie deal that is not, as we know now, rookie contracts – are much more manageable than they used to be, at least before the, the the CBA back in 2011. So, you know, you look at him in a contract year, and again, as I did, and I'm confirming now, they did uh, essentially void out the the fifth year option. That's not happening with with Cedric Abwehi, uh, but his cap hit this year is basically three million, two point nine six seven million, according to Spotrack. Um, and his dead cap number is 1.7. So you're not saving a ton of money, and this team isn't really salary cap strapped, aside from what they would like you to believe. 
I, I just don't see really the need for it unless they've gone through the summer and they said this guy doesn't have a future at guard in the NFL and, and is not even the best backup tackle option that we have. If they, if they go through the entire summer, the entire preseason, and they've given him a shot and they can make that determination, then I say, you know what, fine. But I just I think affordability, the fact that players get hurt, Cordy Glenn – has been hurt. Now we know Cedric Kabwe, he has not played well at, at the left tackle spot or the right tackle spot, but, but you know, if, if Glenn ha- gets dinged up again, you need a boy for a game, a half, what have you, maybe he's, he's kind of the best guy you've got of the bunch. Maybe you didn't do yourself much favors by not drafting a tackle this year and not drafting a guard until the seventh round of, of this year's draft. But it is what it is, and they seem to have some form of a plan with Abwehi and how this offensive line is 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 going. Um, I just I think they need to take a little time with him this year, just because of the new coaching, new approach, and um, I think I, I think they made the right call, obviously, by declining his fifth year option. I think at that point. I just read was uh, it was about nine million or so that would have been the cap hit if they took up that that option for him, and that's he's definitely not worked that. But I, you know, I, I think that he has value as a backup currently, and and I don't think we're sitting here in in May and, and saying get rid of him. You know, if there's a lucrative trade offer on the table and you can get a, a free agent tackle, or you like one of the guys behind. Uh, some of the other guys there, okay, that makes sense. But if you're not getting much uh, in terms of trade offers, which I'm almost certain they're not, and if you're not getting much uh, in terms of uh, – you you wouldn't be getting anything if you just let him go for nothing, obviously. I mean, if those are your options, uh, why not why not try it out? Why not try it out and see how he does, how he responds to new coaching, a new position, and uh, see how it goes. That's what I think. Um, I, I like this question by Michael Myers here. Continuing on the Abwehi subject. So if Abwehi goes to guard, does that make Westerman a bust? I think that depends on what your definition of bust is. Because Westerman was a guy, his fifth-round pick, and I think a lot of people like him. He's got a lot of skills. There was talk that he could be a, a late second-round pick the year he was selected. And he's just kind of withered away on the bench, not getting a shot until late last season. And he played pretty well when he was in the lineup, uh, when, they had, when the Bengals had to get real creative at the end of the last season because of – lineup changes and injuries and all that kind of stuff. If you're asking me, I think Westerman does and should have the inside track on the start, open starting right guard job. I think that should be his to lose. I think he's probably got the most talent between he, Redman, and Trey Hopkins. People are very fickle on Trey Hopkins. They either really like him or uh, – personally, I didn't see a ton out of him last year that, that made me say, yeah, that's the right guard of the future. Um, but – to answer that question, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can call a fifth-round pick a bust, but from the standpoint of if you think that Westerman is the guy, like myself, 
the guy at right guard who should have the job, no problem, then yeah, I guess it, it does make him a bit of a bust. And if, if a boy, he can take the guard spot and make a viable career for himself, or at least a viable year for himself this year alone at guard, wouldn't you rather kind of take the first round player turning his career around and finding a productive niche on the team over a fifth, fifth round guy who, who could do it. Um, now I'm talking about if both guys could give you similar results or what have you, but I would rather find a way to salvage the first round picks career than a fifth round guy. But I don't know that that's going to happen. I just, I, I think Westerman's probably the guy at, at right guard, at least at this point, unless they make a move somewhere or something like that. But interesting, interesting question there from Mike Myers. Uh, appreciate the question there. We're going to try and get to some, some questions here in just a few minutes uh, for, to, to wrap up some things on this show. Uh, yeah, there's a good question there. Oh man. Ryan, Ryan Wexstein with a really good question towards the beginning of the program. I, oh boy. Uh, well, well, maybe I'll do that to, in a little bit to spice things up towards the end of the end of the show. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenz. I'm flying solo tonight. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in, subscribing, joining the program. We appreciate it. You can get this program on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, CincyJungle.com, and uh, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter at BanglesOBI and the OB Insider at gmail.com. We look forward to uh, hearing from you. We look forward to getting your questions, and uh, I, I always look forward to seeing emails and everything um, from our listeners. Speaking of that, kind of continuing just towards the end of the Cedric Abwehi kind of discussion, not really a question here, more of a comment, but still thought it was pretty interesting from Jeremy, Jeremy Colonel, or Jerry Colonel from Florence, Kentucky. Um, one factor that none of the beat writers or national quote experts mention is the effects of the Ken Zampezi decision that turned into a disaster. It took the Bengals until the last quarter of the season to write the ship that Zampezi nearly destroyed. And the final two games against the playoff contenders, Detroit and Baltimore, proved that the O-line was not that bad. Uh, Redmond, Westerman, Bowling, and Fisher, combined with newcomers Cordy Glenn and Price, will comprise an O-line that will surprise a lot of, quote, experts. Well, we'll see. We'll see. You know, a lot of ifs there. If Cordy Glenn's healthy, if Billy Price is healthy and can play at a solid level and is proven to not really be a reach at where the Bengals grabbed him, then, Okay. You know, I, I, I see it. And you got to you got to make sure that one of those guys, Redmond, Westerman, whoever, is a viable option. And if you also have to make sure Fisher is. So ton of ifs. And that's that's kind of the theme with the with the 2018 Bengals for me is will the ifs pan out? And the ifs include Tyler Eifert, John Ross, the offensive line, some of the rookies they got this year putting all of the eggs in the Joe Mixon basket. Uh, you know, can they get past and still win games without Vontez Perfect at the beginning of the season? A lot of ifs, a lot of ifs. But if 
a good chunk of those ifs end up paying off in the positive, then I think we're going to see a, a much different football team, a much improved football team than what we've seen over the past couple of years. It's just, and I think that may be, I mean, I, I've been frustrated with what the national experts, the pundits, all of that kind of say about what they have been saying about the Bengals this year and what, you know, what they think they'll do. But as you look, as you look at all these ifs, you know, go down the line, especially in offense, it's hard not to blame them for having their questions or quote unquote lazy analysis or whatever you want to call it. There, there are some major question marks and reservations that should be had about this team. It's just a matter of if those question marks end up being exclamation points. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that that's really what it's about. And uh, I think a, a lot of that will come down to what, what the offensive line does, who's up front there and, and how the team can respond to some of the changes that will be there. But good, good comment uh, via email from, from Jerry. Good to, good to hear from here and uh, him, excuse me. And uh, if it's, if it, it might be Gary, it's G E R R Y. Uh, so if it's Gary or Jerry, but uh, appreciate the, the comment there. Uh, good email. And um, hopefully we hear from you again soon. I guess we can go to some listener questions here. And Ryan Wexstein, as I mentioned, has a question that's kind of broad, but I like it. Uh, and this is one I think we're going to continue to do throughout you know, the summer months. I think it'll be a fun one to do. He asks Bengals predictions for the season. Now, I'm not going to go through a, a record prediction or anything like that because we've done that on a show previously. But I'll give you some kind of player predictions and, and, and things of that nature. Now, if you, if you tuned in last week and you listened to the show, uh, you heard Scott and I's prediction for kind of the starting offensive line and how that will look. At least as the season opens, uh, we have – I think we're pretty much – in agreement, we had Corey Glenn, Clint Bowling going from left to right. Corey Glenn, Clint Bowling, Billy Price, Christian Westerman, Jake Fisher. I think that's kind of who we had uh, as, as the starters there. So I guess that's a prediction. If you want other predictions, I'll go out on, well, not really a limb, but it's a little bit of a limb. He's getting a lot of off-season hype based on, uh, you know, not really being a starter so much last year, but showed quite a bit in uh, a number of snaps, even though he was down the pecking order at his position. But I'm going to go and out on a limb and say that William Jackson, the cornerback, will be a Pro Bowl player this next year. I think now – all of this stuff, the pro football focus, love that he's been getting and all the experts talking about him and all that, it could end up being fool's, fool's gold. You know, he could be a guy that played well uh, and, you know, wasn't responsible always for being the number one guy, the number one shutdown corner. But we saw what he did to Antonio Brown. He absolutely just locked him down, which is not easy to do. And uh, he had a pick six off of Aaron Rodgers, which 
essentially no one's ha- been able to do that over the past couple of years. So he's done a lot of things. He did a lot of things last year. And you have to understand last year was essentially his first year as a pro because he missed all of his rookie year. So you have to figure he's going to take even more strides this year and play pretty well. Uh, he is relatively tall. He's very long in terms of his wingspan and his arms. He's got great speed. And you know what he does that I, I think is great? He doesn't get beat often at all. But there were times where Antonio Brown, I, I can remember specifically, beat him. I think it was in the, the Monday night game. Beat him on a route. And his recovery speed is exceptional. And he, he chased Brown all the way down the field and knocked a pass out of his hands. I think it was in the end zone, actually. Uh, so his recovery speed and his recovery ability, even on the, on the small handful of times he gets beaten, is exceptional. So I think that in his first year as kind of being the guy, the cornerback, Adam Jones is gone. Uh, you know, he's going to be in there as the guy. I think you're going you're gonna to see a Pro Bowl player. And uh, if, if he's not elected to it, one that you'll probably sit here and say, wow, what a snub. So that's a prediction for me. I, you know, I guess it, it's a little bit on a limb, but uh, we'll see. Another prediction. I'm going to say that this team ends up in the top five on defense in terms of quarterback sacks. Geno Atkins last year had nine sacks, and, you know, that was his, what, eighth season playing? Yeah, eight, yeah, you can count it, count on your fingers. Uh, eight, eight season playing, he, he still had nine sacks. Um, they found ways for Michael Johnson to get to the quarterback, I and mean, he had five or five and a half sacks last year. Carl Lawson uh, led, led all rookies, I believe in, in sacks last year and, and was on the all rookie team, uh, as a niche guy. I mean, he wasn't even a full-time player really. So he's there. If Dunlap, Dunlap comes back and plays, he'll, he'll get you anywhere from, you know, seven to 10 sacks. Probably you now add, uh, Sam Hubbard in the middle, uh, that he'll be rotating around in that Chris Smith role. I think he's got far more upside than Chris Smith does and probably more talent even though Chris Smith did a great job for the team last year, the team is probably going to give Jordan Willis, another young promising player, more snaps. They've got uh, Andrew Brown, a guy they drafted this year who seems to be a steal and can get pressure in the middle of an uh, interior of the line. You've got Ryan Glasgow. You know, I, I just, I see this team being pretty fierce in terms of getting to the quarterback, and they made some good strides. They were not good at getting to the quarterback in 16. They got a lot better at it last year. Uh, so I, I see that even improving this year a little bit, even though Michael Johnson is a year older, even though Carlos Dunlap's a year older, even though Geno Atkins is a year older. Until those – Johnson, yeah, he showed some signs of slowing, but they got creative with him. But until Dunlap and Geno Atkins really hit a, a year here as they're approaching 30 years old – or or at 30 years old until they hit a year where you're like whoa they only got like two or three sacks this year whoa they're not they're not doing too much this year and then you start seeing the age a little bit then i'd be more hesitant to say oh i don't know guys this this might not be as formidable of a defense as we thought but i i just think with all of that talent up front 
some new blood in there, some increased roles from guys they got last year. I think I think this team is going to finish in the top five in quarterback sacks. So we have that. We have William Jackson as a pro bowler, and we have the offensive line predictions. There are many more I can get to. We only have so much time. And actually, this is one I want to I want to talk about when my co-host Scott Schultz is back, and maybe when we have other guests to give us some of their predictions, uh, whether they're bold or not bold. Um, I, I would like to hear from other folks, but those are some of mine and I'd like to hear yours. If you've got some, uh, I will, I would love to, uh, hear those. You can put those in the YouTube chat. You can put those in the comment section of cincyjungle.com and, uh, we'll, we'll check those out. And yes, to Andrew Seiler in the YouTube chat. Yes, we did already talk about Dunlop not showing for, um, uh, we did talk about Dunlap, Atkins, Dunlap's contract, all of that. So uh, when you get the chance, go rewatch the beginning of the show. We did talk about that towards towards the beginning there. I, I guess the other question, uh, well, there's two others I'll get to. There was one here, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Michael Myers. Someone had asked... Yeah, it was Michael Myers. If Lamar Jackson plays well in the preseason, could Joe Flacco be trade bait? I don't know. I think that's a distinct possibility, but I, I think that – I don't think Baltimore is ready to make that leap quite yet in terms of a – kind of a crazy move. Now – one thing to consider is that it's it's Ozzie Newsome, the GM's. Uh, it's purportedly his last year with the club, and he was kind of the architect of trading back into the first to get Lamar Jackson, and that was the guy he wanted, and all of that. So, I, it's so hard to gauge a guy on on preseason games and say, hey, you know, this is this guy's this guy's got it because they can you know look however they want however well in the preseason and then all of a sudden when when you know they are playing against the starters and second string guys it's not the same going back to what i what i was saying earlier about joe flacco uh and when you know when the ravens won the super bowl and all of that he's he's had two pretty good seasons in the is from 20 Let's see, 2012, he threw for 3,800 yards, 22 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 87.7 rating. And then in 2014, almost 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 91 rating. Not bad. 2013, 3,900 yards, 19 touchdowns, 22 interceptions, 73.1 rating. 2015, uh, 2791. Now, I think that was the year he got hurt, so he, he kind of – Shortened his season, but 20, uh, almost 2,800 yards, 14 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 83.1 rating, 4,300 yards, 20 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, and an 83.5 rating in 2016. And in 2017, uh, 3,100 yards, 18 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and 80.4 rating. That's not great stuff. And... Flacco has been one of the best guys. When he gets to the postseason, he has been an insane quarterback. But sometimes he just looks not like not the part 
and there's, you know, there are a lot of Andy Dalton critics, but, um, you know, you could put those stats up side by side to each other. And I mean, there's, there's not a lot of difference. And, and if, if there is, it may even weigh, I don't have that in front of me necessarily, but a lot of that stuff may weigh in favor of Andy Dalton. Uh, Andy Dalton probably has a little bit more of the outside threat weapons, or at least had, especially when AJ Green, Marvin Jones, and Muhammad Sanu were here. But, you know, I, I could see where the Ravens are kind of saying, man, this is getting stale. And he, he did not play that great in the game they needed to win to get to the, the playoffs last year against the Bengals when the Bengals trounced them. Uh, they've been kind of in and out of the playoffs a bit and not the same since they won that Super Bowl. So, you know, I, I just – I don't think they would be, make that crazy of a move to trade Flacco if if Lamar Jackson lights up the preseason. Wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility, though. We've seen teams get crazy needy with quarterbacks. Minnesota was one. Um, you know, teams make crazy trades for players, especially if a quarterback goes down in camp, before camp, first couple of games, what have you. Jay Cutler came back and played for the Miami Dolphins at $10 million a year. So, you know, I, I could see theoretically where maybe if a trade really blew their hair back and they were super confident in Lamar Jackson, they would do that. But I think Lamar Jackson needs it probably a year or two of true development before he plays, uh, before he, he really starts for the team and, and plays for the Ravens. I just – I don't see that happening this this year, and uh, also Flacco's salary is pretty pretty hefty. So, you know, a team making a trade would also need to take that into consideration. And I just for a guy throwing basically really in the twenty touchdown range and in the teens of interceptions, not really you know lighting the world on fire over the past handful of years. I, I don't know. I, I just but you also look at you know. Some of his better years was when he had Steve Smith, a viable receiver option since. He's kind of had some other guys in and out. Torrey Smith, who was meh. Mike Wallace, who did some good things and eh. Um, so he hasn't had the most explosive receivers. Obviously, we talked about this earlier in the show. They added more tight ends to give him a better security blanket. But um, I still think Flacco is going to be their guy this year. And then maybe, maybe in 19 or 20, they move on from him. Good question, though. There was another question, and then we'll get out of here with this one, I think, from Austin Tran. Uh, let me pull that back up. Oh, how well do you think the uh, defensive coordinator Terrell Austin will do this year? It kind of depends on what you're asking there. Are you talking about overall rankings in terms of statistical rankings? Are you talking about turnovers? Are you talking about aggressiveness? It, it depends. To me, there were some good things that Paul Gunther did with this defense after Mike Zimmer left. He kind of kept the ship going, especially those first couple of years after Zimmer left. And there was a year, gosh, was it 2014? I don't know how the Bengals even made the, the playoffs that year. If you remember how many injuries they had that year, that was insane. And how many... If you look at the starting lineup of the Bengals in that game against the Colts in 2014, I, I don't know how that team won 10 games and 
how that game was even close for the first half. It, it, I mean, they really didn't have anybody. Uh, it, it, not many starters were playing in that game. That team battled a lot of injuries, and they battled a lot of injuries on defense, but they were awful at getting to the quarterback again that year, and I, and they were, I think they were awful at turning the ball over. Paul Gunther did, did some good things. 2015's defense was pretty outstanding. However, there was a much more bend-but-don't-break type of atmosphere or air of his defense, I guess, than there was with Mike Zimmer. He definitely was not the the fiery leader that – now, we didn't see a ton of him. We didn't have the access to him, at, like in Hard Knocks and all that stuff. We got a little bit of him, but, you know, he was not the fiery leader that Mike Zimmer is and was. And – I mean, there were signs of regression from certain players. There were signs of players not being fully developed and, and, and that were high draft picks. And there was the maddening times where it almost seemed that the team gave up a big play almost every time this, he, he made this call on a formation where one of their defensive ends, pass rushers, would drop back inexplicably into kind of mid-range coverage. Yeah, you want to disguise looks and you want to do but that's just not – I don't know. It's almost getting too cute, and it didn't really work well for the Bengals when that happened. So I don't think we'll be seeing more of that. I think with Terrell Austin as this team's defensive coordinator, I think you're going to see a renewed fire. I think you're going to see a lot of speed, a lot more speed on this defense – um, that's why they drafted Malik Jefferson. That's why they drafted Jesse Bates. Uh, you know, they drafted guys that are rangy and, and speedy. But I also think you're going to see a lot of gambling that could pay off in the big play type of category or allowing big play type of category. Um, you know, I think there's they drafted guys. They made a, a very concerted effort this year to draft guys who either create interceptions, create turnovers, and, and get the ball in their hands on defense. Jesse Bates, I think he had six or seven interceptions the past two seasons. Um, you know, the the Darius Phillips kid, he's he's made a bunch of plays. I mean, it, if you look at the amount of turnovers and touchdowns and, and pick sixes and all of that stuff, if you look at the way these guys they've brought in over the past year or two, how they're getting – they want guys who can create the, the game-changing plays. There weren't too many of them last year. There were more of them last year than there were in 2016. But they want the exciting plays. They want the turnovers. They want the pick sixes. They want the fumble, forced fumbles and recoveries. They need more of that. And it seemed as if Paul Gunther's defense was more of a, let's kind of play, play stout and get off the field on third down. Not necessarily sack strip fumble not necessarily get your hands on the ball and get into the end zone. Yes, there were guys who did that, but it just wasn't a, a as big of a forte. And I'm hopeful now that the Bengals will have a, on defense a bit more of a, a, a athletic profile on the field, guys who are savvy and, and can turn, you know, can create turnovers. And I think that's going to be the profile of the Bengals defense under Terrell Lawson. Again, that could result in improper gambling and allowing of, of the big, uh, the occasional big pass and maybe more than we've seen um, maybe a big run here or there. 
I would like to see the Bengals really shore up their run defense from last year. It was pretty deplorable last year. And that is a, that was something that was not part of Mike Zimmer's issues. Uh, yes, it popped up a little bit in the, in the playoff games, which is not good, but for the most part, the Bengals were always hovering in top five ish, uh, in terms of rush yards allowed per game under Mike Zimmer. Not always the case with with Paul Gunther, and it was really bad last year. I don't know how much that's going to improve this year, the run defense, but if they can get after the quarterback, create a little bit more turnovers than they have been doing, then that you know could remedy a little bit of a issue that they could potentially have against the run. That's what I see Terrell Austin bringing to the table. Marvin Lewis recently said, and if you can, you can find this article on, uh, I believe it was bangles.com and then also on cincyjungle.com. He said that there's no doubt that Terrell Austin is going to be a future head coach in this league. And, it, it, you know, if you followed the team around the time of his hire as defensive coordinator, uh, you, you've heard some of those rumblings that he was a guy that might have been looked at as at potentially getting some future head coaching interviews and all that. He really didn't. And, and luckily the Bengals landed him. So I don't know how long he'll be here. Uh, obviously that's going to be indicative of how the team, how his defensive unit does uh, with the Bengals. But hopefully, hopefully there's, there's a balance here where he stays for a little while, but also the team and the defense is doing well. Uh, and he's not scooped up so quickly for a head coaching gig if his unit is performing well. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We received a number of different questions tonight. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm sorry if we couldn't get to your question, but uh, keep those coming. You can send them to us via Twitter at BengalsOBI or via email the OBInsider at gmail.com. Or you can always join us live. We usually record Wednesday evenings, this this podcast on YouTube, and uh, it's also streaming live on Cincy Jungle where you can leave questions, comments in the comment thread at Cincy Jungle or do the same in the live YouTube chat with other Bengals fans, and you can interact with other Bengals fans in the YouTube chat, which is kind of cool. Even though I, I don't get to read every single sentence in here, I try and get to, you know, most of what's going on in, in the YouTube chat. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, you see a lot of, I assume, a lot of people that are not, directly connected or friends or whatever, but they've kind of become friends or a little mini community through, through this program and through the, the, the chat that we have going here. Thanks again, everybody for tuning in. We, we're doing a little bit of an abbreviated show. Maybe it wasn't so abbreviated. I don't know. Was it eh, a little bit, but regardless, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for allowing me to do this, sh this uh, show solo. And uh, I hope that, you are enjoying the OTAs as much as you can. I mean, it's it's workouts and shorts. I mean, let's let's be honest. But we're going to start getting into June gets a little slow. Then then you start getting into the mini camps. And then you start getting into training camp. And then preseason football, and it's gonna it's gonna come fast, guys. And I think that uh, this team, as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of ifs. But if those if those ifs pay off, this is going to be a pretty exciting year, I think, for the Bengals. But oh, those ifs, right? And that's that should be on the Bengals' crest. Oh, those ifs. Oh, if only, if only, right? Thanks again, everybody. We'll we'll see you next episode. Appreciate it. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. 
and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>